Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. Welcome NASCAR in, icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. It is Wednesday, May 25th, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. I'll just say this. I say it every episode, but it is unbelievable to me that we keep waiting for things to slow down, things to quiet down, and the content just keeps coming. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We will open with this crazy report from ESPN, Pete Thamel, that says that the SEC is considering breaking off and starting its own college football playoff without everybody else. I don't know that I believe it. There's one reason why, but I think there's a very important reason why that story got out, and I think it portends to the future of college football in general. Also, we'll talk a little bit about the SEC's scheduling model, which will come up and will be decided at the spring meetings from there. DJ Wagner, the number one high school player in basketball. We talked about Arch Manning last episode. DJ Wagner, his grandfather is hired at Louisville. Does it mean that he is a lock for Louisville? What does it mean for the school? We thought he was going to the University of Kentucky. Another tough day for John Calipari. And we will wrap, as we always do on Wednesdays, or at least during the summertime, with your questions. Q&A, Torres style. Send in your questions. We will answer them every Wednesday. We do a mailbag segment. Uh, so that will end the show. Really fun show. I'm fired up to talk today. And so with that said, there is no more time to waste. And let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day is really over the next six or seven days, there's actually something kind of important going on in the world of college sports, and that is the SEC spring meetings, the SEC coaches meetings down in Florida. And this happens every year, but it's important this year, and it has certainly been heightened this year for two reasons. One, it's been heightened because of this Jimbo Fisher-Nick Saban feud, they are going to be in the same room together next week, uh, and fists may fly. I don't think so. I don't think Greg. Sa- I don't know if Greg Sankey's walking in with bodyguards to separate those two, but that is obviously part of the reason why there is so much intrigue. But it is an important SEC meetings because, again, 
all 14 conference schools, commission, uh, conference uh, ADs, all 14 college football coaches, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Billy Napier, Brian Kelly. Yes, Brian Kelly is an SEC head coach. They will all be in Florida talking about the future of the SEC. And it is important this specific year for one specific reason. This is the first spring meetings since Texas and Oklahoma have joined the SEC. And so not only is the SEC kind of at a crossroads, but it obviously comes at a time where college sports in general is at a crossroads. All of the things that we talk about on this show every episode. There is no president of the NCAA as we speak. We don't know about the future of NIL. We don't know about the future of the transfer portal. We don't know if tampering is ever going to be involved. But most importantly, there is another topic that I have not talked about very much, and that is the future of the college football playoff. If you remember at this time last year, it was all the talk and all the rage, and we believed that we were on an inevitable collision course to a 12-team college football playoff. Then Greg Sankey and the SEC stole the two best teams from the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma. Then the other conferences pushed back. Now we have no playoff expansion through at least 2025, and so because of that, the SEC is in kind of this weird spot. They have to start planning for the future of Texas and Oklahoma being in the conference. How are we going to put together our schedules without knowing are we going to a four-team playoff, uh, a 12-team playoff, something in the middle? We just don't know. And so why do I bring all this up? Why do we care about SEC scheduling, which I'll actually talk about on the back end of the segment? It is because on Monday afternoon, ESPN, Pete Thamel, I think, listen, I, I don't know Pete Thamel. I think he's as plugged in in college football as anybody, dropped a crazy story about what is going to happen at these SEC coaches meetings, all the different things that are going to be discussed. And one thing that is mentioned in the article, I'm not making this up, is the SEC actually breaking off from the other power conferences and holding their own playoff. In other words, saying, Big Ten, you keep Purdue and Iowa. Pac-12, you keep all those schools that we don't really care about because they stink. ACC, we all know that it's Clemson and the 13 Dwarves or whatever right now. The SEC basically saying, we don't need you guys. We are going to have our own playoff, whether it's four teams, whether it's eight teams, because let's be honest, we all know Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I mean, all these schools are great programs individually. I think LSU's on the way up. And now we're adding Texas and Oklahoma to the mix. And so I believe, or I don't believe, it was stated in this ESPN article that it's at least possible that the SEC is considering it. And as a matter of fact, here is the direct quote from Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, in this article. As we think as a conference, he said, it's vitally important we think about the range of possibilities. We need to engage in blue sky thinking, which is you detach from reality. What are the full range of possibilities and on the extreme end of that it is the SEC basically saying we don't need the Big Ten ACC Pac-12 Big 12 group of five whatever we're just gonna have our own playoff and so when this story came out a lot of you asked me about this and what I would tell you is I don't believe this is going to happen now that's not a bad thing because I think it speaks to something bigger going on in college football but let me first of all tell you why I don't think that this is going to happen First of all, we've seen like like first of all, it's really interesting. I was actually having uh, breakfast on Thursday on uh, Tuesday, excuse me, with a 
somebody that's pretty high up in the Pac-12, somebody that knows what's going on in the college sports landscape, and we talked about this very issue, and what he said is, look, the SEC is the, 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 the million-pound monster in college sports. I'm not arguing that. But we have seen three all-SEC championship games over the last 10, 12 years. If you go back to 2011, it was Alabama versus LSU, and we've had Alabama versus Georgia twice since then. And he said, if you go back to Alabama LSU, the ratings actually plummeted in that particular season because nobody wanted to see the rematch. And that was what led to the four-team college football playoff. Ratings also were down a little bit this year with Alabama Georgia. Not that we didn't enjoy the game. And all he said is, look, I'm not saying that the SEC ain't the biggest, baddest dude on the block. But they do need Ohio State. And USC, and to be clear, the person I was speaking with had no affiliation with USC, so I'm not saying that it was like I was having lunch with Lincoln Riley and he's telling me that they need us. I'm not saying that at all. But that the, the SEC, one, the SEC just needs these other schools, even if it's an us versus them, prove our superiority. We, they need Ohio State and Clemson and Miami and USC and Penn State and Michigan, et cetera. So that's one. Two, the reason I don't believe this is this wasn't some like super low-key sourced report. Greg Sankey talked on the record for this article, which means that Greg Sankey wanted this news out. If We know that Greg Sankey can operate in the shadows as well as anybody. You know, we all got that buddy that gets stuff done and nobody knows how he gets it done and you need this on this day. Uh, you know, I feel like I'm talking about prison. I need two packs. Of, I need, need two cartons of cigarettes and I need them now. Well, that's Greg Sankey in the college sports world, right? So Greg Sankey, you mean to tell me for six months he was courting Oklahoma and Texas and kept it 100% quiet, but this leaks out from Pete Thamel? No, Greg Sankey wanted this story out. And so the question becomes, why would Greg Sankey want this out? Well, it was actually, my first reaction fell in line with what was mentioned in the article and what my first reaction was, and what was also mentioned in this article by Pete Thamel, ESPN, great job by him, is that Greg Sankey is not happy with how that college football expansion playoff conversation happened, college football playoff expansion happened. And why was he not happy? It's because of all the craziness of the last year, but some of it, in defense of everybody else, was self-inflicted by Greg Sankey. And so if you remember to this time last year, the plan was we're working towards the college football playoff expansion. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, is involved. Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, is involved. I believe the Mountain West commissioner, Craig Thompson, and the Notre Dame AD, Jack Swarbrick, were the other two guys. And so we're moving along, we're moving along, we're moving along. And then it gets leaked out that Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 for the SEC, and the first reaction of everybody was the SEC commissioner and the Big 12 commissioner were working together, all while the SEC commissioner was stabbing them in the back. And so what happened after that is that all of a sudden, other, all the other conferences said, wait a second now, we're going to make this big landscape-changing decision like a college football playoff expansion? We need to be in the room. And so what ended up happening was, if you remember, we had that weird alliance thing that was, was formed between the Big, 12, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC, and no, no decision on college football playoff expansion could be found in those meetings, and so we're stuck with four, as I said, until 2025. And in my opinion, my belief is that essentially, I don't want to say it was sabotaged, but that the other conferences were like, you know what? We were on our way to 12. You just stabbed the Big 12 in the back. 
we are not going to give you what you want, which is an expanded playoff. And why does Greg Sankey want an expanded playoff? It's because the, mo- the most teams that are going to be in the playoff are from the SEC. And so again, the reason that I believe that Greg Sankey let this story get out is to just kind of let everybody know who still runs college football. To let everybody know, I'm still the captain. You know that meme, I'm the captain now? Well, Greg Sankey's always been the captain, and he's letting everybody know. And it's funny because I remember talking about this specific topic, maybe not on this show, but I know I talked about it on at least a couple radio interviews, including in Knoxville. The idea of the SEC just basically saying, you don't want to expand the playoff? All right, guess what? We can do our own thing. And so to me, this feels like a power play by Greg Sankey. In other words, his idea being, oh, you guys don't want to expand the playoff? You guys think you have all the control? Well, guess what? I'll just take Georgia and Bama and LSU and Texas and Oklahoma, and we'll do our own thing without you. And so I don't believe this is actually going to happen. I believe this is a subtle message that Greg Sankey is sending through the media. Remember, all the best ones use dopes like me in the media to deliver a message. It's what Nick Saban does. It's what John Calipari does. Uh, Dabo isn't very overt about it. He'll just say exactly what's on his mind. But these guys and girls that run college sports from the coaching perspective, Gino Oriema has been great at this for years, use the media to get across messages, and Greg Sankey is getting across that message. You guys think you're running this thing? No, 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 no. We're the SEC. We're, We're running this thing, and we'll run our own thing without you. So I don't believe that we're getting an an SEC-only playoff by themselves. But what I do believe is that we are very quickly going to see rapid change across college sports here, and specifically college football, over the next couple years. We've seen, remember, the NCAA kind of, sort of, is involved with the college football playoff, but it's not really. The NCAA runs all the official NCAA tournaments, which is obviously the NCAA basketball tournament, the women's tournament, the college baseball tournament. They don't have much of a say in the college football playoff, which is crazy. But what, what, why this is important to me is that I do believe that we are getting to a point in the not-too-distant future where the NCAA, especially now that they don't have a president, especially now that the conference commissioners are basically running the sport, led by Greg Sankey, that college football is just basically going to be run outside of the rest of college sports. And essentially, whatever the new version of college sports is, college football will be run as its own entity. My guess would be all five commissioners come together, figure out what is NIL, figure out the transfer portal stuff, figure out this, figure out that, and then the NCAA runs all of the other sports. How it all works, I don't know, but I've heard it from enough people that I believe that this is inevitable, that that college football has so outgrown the money that's involved, the TV contracts. I mean, think about the fact that the Big Ten is going to have a new TV contract soon, and the word is it's going to be a billion-dollar TV contract. That is NFL money. That is NBA money. And they're not paying to cover women's college basketball and ice hockey and even men's basketball, for that matter. They're paying for the, the, the college football content for Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State in the case of the Big Ten. And so to me and to the people that I've spoken with, college football has so outgrown what college sports was and is that it needs to be run as its own thing. And from there, they'll figure out NIL across the board. And from there, maybe they have their own governing body that makes its own set of rules. 
And from there, maybe, by the way, instead of going by the NCAA rulebook with a million little things, they have their own group that governs college football, and then all the other sports are under the college or under the NCAA umbrella, most notably college basketball, and this would be a way to maintain the NCAA tournament as it is. I don't have all the answers on how it's going to work, but why I believe this is going to happen, one, I've heard people say it, one, I've heard pe- people have told me it, but two, go ahead and look at who has already suggested this. Gene Smith the Ohio State Athletic Director, who I would argue is one of the four or five most powerful people in college sports right now, said this exact thing, I don't know, about three weeks ago. I'm looking at an article from May 4th where he said, we can create our own rules, create our own governance structure, have our own enforcement, we have our own requirements, whatever that might be. This was the Ohio State Athletic Director suggesting that this would be a good idea. Do you think that he is suggesting this if these conversations weren't already happening? Do you, like he's not putting it out there if it's not already happening. Dabo Sweeney has said the same thing. Um, other college coaches have said the same thing. And so I believe this is going to happen. I don't know if it's, if it's the next three years, the next seven years, the next 10 years, whatever. And I don't know what it means for the next 50 years of college sports, but this is what it feels like we're heading toward, and I feel like Greg Sankey putting out the idea that, hey, if we don't get this thing figured out, if we don't wrap our arms around college football, then I'm just telling you, we'll just go do our own thing because there's too much money, too much at stake, too much pride, whatever. It'll be really interesting. I don't think this is the demise of the NCAA, but I do think this is a new world that we live in. And I think with the NIL, with the transfer portal, everything is getting expedited. And again, most importantly, the way that we did things 20, 30, 40 years ago, we can't keep doing them that way. And I think that's part of the understanding with the new NCAA president is how does the NCAA work with the power conferences, specifically with football? I don't have all the answers, but I believe that is what is happening behind the scenes. Really quickly, I did mention one of the topics from the SEC meetings this coming week is the SEC scheduling model. And this is really interesting because there are basically two proposals on what could happen. And to me, it reflects on what could potentially happen across the landscape of college football. Again, I don't think that we're going towards an SEC-only college football playoff, but why I bring it up is because right now the SEC is considering two models. If you care enough to listen to this podcast, you already know, but really quickly, here are the two models. One is called the 3-6 model. One is called the 1-7 model. The 3-6 model, this is what the 3-6 model is. You would keep three rivals that you play every year. So just as an example, um... Florida, that's probably a bad example. Um, you know, Texas, who is going to be in the SEC, they would play Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and LSU every year. And that's just a hypothetical. I don't know if those would be the four schools. They would play those three schools every year, and then they would play six other teams on an annual basis. And what that would allow is if you if you do the math, you keep the same three teams every year, and then you play six other teams, it means that you would play every other team in the league at least once every two, well, once every two years, and every school would visit every other school once every four years. So Texas would play Florida twice during a four-year period, one at Florida, one at Texas. Same with Alabama and Georgia if they weren't playing in the 3-6 model. Uh, same with whatever, LSU and Kentucky, right? Like, 
And why that idea is important, of course, is because of the fact that right now the schedule is so imbalanced that you have these crazy long stretches where teams don't play each other. So the example that everybody keeps using, and it's a good one, is that Texas A&M joined the SEC in 2012. So far, they have played Georgia a grand total of one time. So the 3-6 model is one that is in play. The other model is the 1-7 model, which is essentially the same thing. You have one rival that you play every year and then seven other teams that you play every other year. So you would play eight total league games, one rival, seven teams this year, then the other seven teams next year. It accomplishes the same thing of, you know, Alabama keeps Auburn on, on the schedule. The Iron Bowl goes on as it, as, as it always has. And then you play every other team every other season twice over a four-year period. The problem with that one, of course, is that many SEC schools have more than one real rival, and so then it gets into a sticky situation with Auburn being a perfect example. Historically, the Deep South's oldest rivalry is Auburn-Georgia. The Iron Bowl is Alabama-Auburn. Who do you play uh, just that, who do you play as that rivalry game, and what rivalries would you lose? It's the same with Tennessee. Historically, they've played Florida every year, Georgia every year, Alabama every year, third Saturday in October. So, That model seems to be less popular, but the interesting thing about it is you do some quick math. The 1-7 model means that you're only playing eight SEC games in total. The 3-6 model means that you're playing nine SEC games total. If you go to the 3-6 model, if you add an extra conference game every year, that means to me that the conference probably thinks that expansion is on the horizon here in the near future. Otherwise, why would you jeopardize it by playing more conference games? Um, but that's that's kind of the interesting spot that the SEC is in going into next week's uh, conference uh, conference meetings. But I had to talk about the SEC, um, you know, the SEC uh, uh, college football playoff being on its own. I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's a power play by Greg Sankey. I think he's letting the world know uh, I'm the captain still. I run this ship, and this is how it's going to be. I do think the more interesting story that could come out of next week is what is the scheduling model. Do they go to 3-6? Do they go to 1-7? Just doing a straw poll, talking to some people that I know. It does seem as though the 3-6 model would be more popular, if only because you you would lose a lot of great rivalries without it. Obviously, it means an extra league game. Now, for schools, schools are thinking in the way of basically some schools are obviously in favor of adding the extra league game because it means more money. Others are like, well, crap, man, you know, like Vanderbilt and Mississippi State aren't in a rush to, to keep adding league games because it means one less out of conference game, probably one more loss on the schedule. It seems as though the 3-6 model, though, is the more popular one among the conference. And I don't know if we'll get a final decision on it by the end of next week, but this is going to be the hot topic coming out of uh, Florida. I do not believe we are getting an SEC only college football playoff. But I'll tell you what, man, you talk about Greg Sankey carrying a big stick, and he, he's got a big stick, if you know what I mean, and he is not afraid to throw it around. Whew. Good opening segment talking about Greg Sankey's stick. How about that? How about this world that we're living in, huh? All right, this is what I'm going to do. Get out of control. I'm going to take a quick break. I am going to come back, and when we do come back, I do want to switch gears, talk a little college hoops. Uh, Dewan Wagner, DJ Wagner, I should say, Dewan Wagner's son, um, is the number one high school player in America. On Tuesday, we got some interesting news. His grandfather was hired at Louisville. Does that mean that he's headed to Louisville? We will discuss that next. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right we're gonna get back to the show in a minute but before we do the nba playoffs are down to four teams and DraftKings sportsbook has an incredible offer for first-time users of DraftKings and the DraftKings sportsbook here is the deal bet five dollars on any team just a money line bet, not against the spread, not the over-under, just a $5 money line bet on any team. And if that team wins, you get $150 in free bets. That's right, one team, Boston, Golden State, Milwaukee, Dallas, whoever you like, bet $5 on them. If they win, you get $150 in free cash. Here's what you got to do. Here's how you sign up. Click the link in the show description and sign up for a new account with DraftKings Sportsbook and make your first deposit. Bet $5 on any team, and if your team wins, you get an automatic $150 thanks to our friends at DraftKings and the DraftKings Sportsbook. It's the best offer in sports betting going, so make sure to act now. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Must be 21-plus or over to enter, 18-plus or over in Wyoming, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, Louisiana, New York only. Minimum $5 deposit, minimum $5 wager, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for full terms and conditions. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again. Partners DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. Incredible offer. First-time users, $5 money line, bet any team. If that team wins, an automatic $150 in free bets courtesy of the DraftKings Sportsbook. I just told you about it. Terms and conditions apply. Check it out. Thank you again to DraftKings. Just an incredible sponsor of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. With that said, I want to switch gears, and it's interesting, right? Because on Monday, I talked about the number one high school football player in the class of 2023, Arch Manning. But today, I want to switch gears, and I want to actually talk about the number one high school basketball player in the class of 2023, DJ Wagner, 
because we got ourselves a very interesting update on him, his family, his recruitment, and where he could ultimately end up playing college basketball. As a little bit of a backstory, why did we talk? We've actually talked about him, I think, maybe about a month ago, five weeks ago. It is because he has, frankly, uh, just an absolutely fascinating recruitment. As I said, really talented, combo guard, number one player, high school class of 2023. And he has basically, since he's emerged as an elite high school player, he has been considered all but a Kentucky lock, a lock to go to the University of Kentucky. His dad played for John Calipari. His dad, Dewan Wagner, was really the first one and done that John Calipari had. Uh, Dewan went to the NBA, unfortunately had an illness. His NBA career was cut short. And when John Calipari saw that, it kind of created the ethos for who he is as a coach now. Get my players in, get them to the NBA as fast as possible. Nothing's guaranteed. And Dewan and John Calipari have always had this incredible relationship. And it was always deemed that it was all but a certainty that his son would end up playing at Kentucky. There was, of course, one notable exception that could possibly potentially happen in which DJ did not play for John Calipari at Kentucky, and it was this. It was if Kenny Payne, the former Kentucky assistant, NBA uh, assistant coach over the last couple years with the New York Knicks, if he ended up getting the Louisville job. That is because while Dewan is DJ's dad, Milt is Dewan's dad and DJ's grandfather, and Milt is essentially best friends with Kenny Payne. And the thought always came, if, it, you know, if Kenny Payne gets the job, he's going to hire Milt Wagner, and the grandson would potentially come with him to Louisville. So that is what the talk has been behind the scenes in basketball recruiting for months now. But it really actually died down about two, three weeks ago when Kenny Payne completed his on-the-court staff, hired his three assistant coaches, and none of them was named Milt Wagner kind of calm things down. There wasn't much to it. Nobody was making anything of it. A lot of Kentucky fans thought maybe we're in a pretty good position. Maybe we're in a better position than we thought. At the very least, at least grandpa is not on the Louisville coaching staff. Well, bad news for Kentucky fans and probably pretty good news for Louisville fans as on Tuesday, we got a little bit of a bombshell report. Travis Branham, 24-7 sports, a guy I really respect who recovers the recruiting beat. He reports on Tuesday morning. Milt Wagner has in fact been hired by the University of Louisville and here is the twist he has been hired in kind of a dual role of essentially both a a a, a guy that is a director of player development but also a sort of an alumni relations guy and so if you're looking for the legal red tape here pun intended because the cards are red it's that because he was hired in an alumni relations role, even if he will be helping with the basketball program, he is technically an employee of the university, not the athletic department. Therefore, Louisville can continue to recruit his grandson. And so the worst case scenario for Kentucky, the best case scenario for Louisville has happened as DJ Wagner, the number one high school player in the class of 2023. Nothing specific happened with him on, on Tuesday, but his grandfather was hired by the University of Louisville. And let me just say this. It doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't promise anything. The family is going to say all of the right things. I've heard Dewan Wagner quoted saying, it's my son's decision. It's not mine. It's not his grandfather's. I've heard the grandfather say the same thing. But if I were a Louisville fan, I would be very excited today. And if I was a Kentucky fan, I would be very concerned. So let's break it down for both sides as the number one high school player in America right in the middle of just this incredible rivalry that got ratcheted up a ton. Now, to be clear, again, nothing has happened, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I definitively am saying today that 
Dewan Wagner, DJ Wagner is going to the University of Louisville. But what I would say is it feels like a weird time to make this hire. And I know Kenny Payne and Milt Wagner are best friends. It feels like a weird time to make this hire if you didn't think that the grandson would eventually come along. Now, maybe they're just best friends. Maybe Milt Wagner wanted to get back involved in the school. But to me, the timing is interesting, and it leads me to believe that Louisville is at the very least now in the driver's seat and probably pulling ahead from the rest of the field in the recruitment of DJ Wagner. Doesn't guarantee anything, but if he were to commit, you just talk about just an incredible, incredible turn of events in this recruitment and potentially in this rivalry as well. Now, look, I think DJ Wagner is a really good player. I'm not saying he's a Zion, a John Wall, and Anthony Davis that's going to elevate the whole program by himself. But you talk about if he ends up at Louisville. Let's start talking about what it would what it would mean for this rivalry for both schools if he ended up at Louisville. First of all, incredible boon for the University of Louisville. We talked a lot about Kenny Payne maybe about two, two and a half, three weeks ago with the Amani Bates situation. I still believe Amani Bates will ultimately end up at the University of Louisville. I went on my buddy Nick Coffey's radio show about maybe a week or so ago, and we talked about the fact that he'll probably end up there. This is the process. This is how Amani Bates works. But everything I said about Amani Bates at the time, I think will apply to DJ Wagner should he commit to Louisville as well. Huge win for the school, huge win for Kenny Payne, and it really just helps in every way possible. One, we all know that good players like to play with other good players, right? So to me, it probably helps Louisville in the high school class of 2023. DJ Wagner can bring other good players with him. But beyond that, it just creates this perception that Louisville is this place that you can come elite high school players, play in the ACC, play against Duke, play against North Carolina, be on this major stage, and then go to the NBA. And that's why this is so important because, uh, you know, look, look, even when Louisville was good under Rick Pitino, it's not as though they were a conveyor belt of NBA players, but the best high school players in America, they want to go to the places that they know can get them to the NBA and prepared as fast as possible. It's why Kentucky has been a factor in recruiting forever. It's not because John Calipari has is any you know um, has any amazing spiel, but you look at the NBA. You can't turn on an NBA playoff game without Tyler Hero, Tyrese Maxey, uh, Devin Booker, Jamal Murray, Carl Anthony Towns. You go on and on. That's John Calipari's sales pitch. It's go watch the NBA playoffs. My guys are playing all the time. It's the same with Duke and the guys that they've put in. I think it's what's starting to happen at Arkansas now, where you're starting to turn on these NBA playoff games. Moses Moody's getting run. Uh, the One of the Martin brothers who played for Eric Musselman at Nevada is getting run. Pretty soon we're going to have even more Arkansas guys in the NBA. But at the end of the day, the best players want to go to the places that they know that they will be developed into NBA players. And that is what Louisville instantly becomes if they get this kid, because he will be an eventual lottery pick. And you talk about a potential paradigm shifting moment for that entire program that is what DJ Wagner's commitment would mean if it does happen now for Kentucky I just gotta say this I'm actually starting to feel a little bit bad for John Calipari because if you think about now I know nobody outside I don't think anybody feels bad for John Calipari Kentucky fans are frustrated nobody else likes him but it's hard not to feel a little bit bad for John Calipari because this is really the third or fourth incident where you felt like you were in pretty good shape for an elite high school player and something kind of at the last minute screws everything up, right? We've talked about Shaden Sharp, the number one high school player in the class of 2022. We'll get back to him in a minute. But the, the Shaden Sharp followed by DJ Wagner would absolutely be crushing. 
especially when you think about everything that has happened over the last couple of years for John Calipari. If you think about the current landscape of Kentucky, why have they not been able to get over the hump? It's because they haven't gotten those truly elite of the elite of the elite of the elite players, those two, three, four high school players a year that can put a program on their back and elevate them. Like I said, they got them early in the Calipari regime with Anthony Davis, with John Wall. Uh, Brandon Knight was great the one year that he was there. They haven't had those guys over the last couple years. But it's certainly not for lack of trying. And if it weren't for a couple bad breaks, they might have gotten like literally four out of the last five or six number one high school players in America. Kentucky fans all know this, but you go back to 2019. 2019, James Wiseman was the number one high school player in America. And it appeared as though... He was like all but a lock for the University of Kentucky. John Calipari, in many ways, reshaped his entire recruiting philosophy for James Wiseman. For years, Calipari would wait and wait and wait, and he would never offer, and he would, you know, he would get in too late, and kids would already have relationships with other schools. The second that they could legally start contacting and following and recruiting James Wiseman, they did. And it seemed like he was destined for Kentucky, and it seemed like there was only one scenario that James Wiseman wasn't going to end up in Kentucky. If his high school coach, Penny Hardaway, got hired at Memphis, but that couldn't happen because Tubby Smith just got hired and he's going to be fine. Year two, Tubby Smith, things start to go bad. Part of it was because Penny froze out all the good players, wouldn't send, him to, wouldn't send the best high school players from Memphis to the University of Memphis. Penny gets the Memphis job. James Wiseman doesn't come to Kentucky. Whew, tough break for Calipari. Oh, what happened in 2020? Well, in 2020, the number one player was Cade Cunningham. And to be clear, uh, pretty early on in the process, Mike Boynton hired Cade Cunningham's brother to be an assistant coach at Oklahoma State. I only bring it up to say that if you remember, though, Cade Cunningham was adamant, because I remember talking about this on the podcast. I remember talking to Cade about it. I talked to Cade Cunningham about it over the course of the summer before his senior year. And he said, look, just because my brother is hired, my recruitment is open, I am interested in other schools. Takes a visit to North Carolina takes a visit to the University of Kentucky. And Kentucky fans know this, but there was a report, there was a belief that on his trip to the University of Kentucky, he made a silent commitment to the school. Now, only a handful of people know this. I don't know if that's actually 100% the truth or not. I've seen some people report it as fact. I don't know if it's actually fact or not. But there was a belief that Kate Cunningham committed to Kentucky on his recruitment. Then, of course, a few weeks later, emotions died down. And then all of a sudden, he says, you know what, I'm going back with my brother, I'm going to Oklahoma State, and we know how awesome he was at Oklahoma State. So that's, you know, two in two years in 2019 and 2020. Then in 2022, you sign the number one high school player, Shaden Sharp, we've talked about a million times. He comes to Kentucky and never plays a game, and now you're looking at the possibility of 2023's number one player was a Kentucky lock forever and ends up ending up at the University of Louisville. Again, nothing is official. But as I always say, we're doing the show tonight, and right now, tonight, everything indicates that this kid will ultimately end up at the University of Louisville. Not saying it's 100%, but it's not looking good for Kentucky. And if you think about that, the fact that at one point in four of the last five years, the number one player in the class has been considered a strong Kentucky lean in three of those cases, James Wiseman, Shaden Sharp, uh, Wagner, DJ Wagner, one actually committed and enrolled, Shaden Sharp. Another one may have secretly committed. 
Four players were considered leans. Two of them, by the way, if this weird confluence of events doesn't happen, if James Wiseman's high school coach doesn't get uh, uh, hired at Memphis, if Kenny Payne doesn't get hired at Louisville, both those guys probably end up at Kentucky. So I don't mean to make this just a Kentucky segment, but it's hard not to feel bad for John Calipari. I mean, this guy cannot catch a break. All of this coming, by the way, off of the 2021 season, the worst season in school history, the 2022 season, where, of course, they had the worst NCAA tournament loss in school history. And I, I, I can't lie, I, I feel bad for John Calipari. I would also say, um, you know, it was funny, I was texting with my buddy Sam who runs the Torres on UK account. It's like, if there's ever been a team that has had a bad offseason when they're returning the National Player of the Year, it's Kentucky between how it ended with St. Peter's, the Shade and Sharp stuff, now potentially DJ Wagner. And I would just say this too, is it does feel like as the years go on, and I'm not here to just bash John Calipari because I think some of the things that he had, some of the things that went well this year went under the radar because of how it ended. But I will say this: it does feel like John Calipari, in just about everything over the last year or so, two years, three years, whatever, is a step behind, is a step slow. Public relations wise, can't get it right. We talked earlier about uh, earlier this summer about the Baylor Shireman kid that committed to Creighton. I've heard mixed things about the NIL stuff. But for him to come out and talk about NIL in the way that he did uh, probably wasn't the greatest PR move. He loses Jay Lucas, the hotshot young rising assistant coach at, uh, at Kentucky, to Duke. And in that process, by the way, he loses him to Duke because one of Duke's assistants left to come to Louisville to coach for Kenny Payne, Nolan Smith, okay? And so I bring it up because uh, Jay Lucas leaves and John Calipari starts doing this little rant or he, d- he drops this release of this kid, this guy thought I was going to be mad, but I'm happy for him. He had an opportunity that he couldn't turn down. Bad PR move there. Bad PR losing to St. Peter's. Bad PR with Shaden Sharp, where as I've said a million times on this show, I thought there was a way to handle it. And I think he handled it incorrectly Uh, telling his fan base that the kid was going to be there in 2022-2023, even when he became draft eligible. So I feel bad for John Calipari. It appears as though we're trending. It's still too early, but the show's tonight. we got to speculate on what we know right now. A great day to be a Louisville fan. This could be another L for John Calipari, man. You talk about a guy that needs the season to get here. you got to start getting some wins because you have a frustrated fan base right now. That's where we are with John Calipari. All right, this is what I want to do. I do want to take a quick break. I want to come back, and when I do come back, we will do our Wednesday mailbag segment of the show. Some good questions submitted today. I will be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute, but before we do, I want to welcome in a new sponsor, Athletic Greens and athleticgreens.com. With one delicious scoop of AG1, that's Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Quick side story. The founder of this company, they were experiencing gut health issues and were spending over $100 a day on vitamins and supplements. They knew there had to be a better way. That's Athletic Greens. For the cost of just $3 a day, you can get Athletic Greens. Here's the best part. It contains less than one gram of sugar with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. 
Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash emerging. That's athleticgreens.com slash emerging for one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take over ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Thank you again for being our partner. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thank you again to our partners, uh, Athletic Greens, athleticgreens.com. And if you want to support the Air Tours pod, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Incredible new product. Really excited to be working with them, athleticgreens.com slash emerging. With that said, I do want to wrap the show here on a Wednesday with what we do every single Wednesday, which is listener Q&A. And this is pretty straightforward. It's a little bit of a slower time of year, uh, and rather than guess what you guys want me to talk about, or rather than talk about what I want to talk about, I instead open things up to you. It's up to you guys. You guys send in the questions, and I answer them. And if you want your question answered, we have a few from last week as well as the ones from this week, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. You can DM me, Aaron underscore Torres, or you can DM me at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. So go ahead, send in your questions, whatever you want. I'm happy to answer it. I'm happy to talk about it. Let's get into some of your questions. The only rules, by the way, for this segment, as long as the, as long as the question isn't going to end in me getting a divorce or getting arrested, I will answer it. So if you have any questions about life, about sports, about travel, about va- whatever it is, and I said Vegas, not vaping, Vegas, not vaping, Vegas. Uh, make sure to send in your questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Let's get into it. First one, Rachel writes in, did you see the report that Arkansas and Memphis in basketball are trying to work on a home-and-home series? What do you think of that? Well, Rachel, what I would say straightforward is this. I think it's awesome, and I'm in favor. We'll get into this Arkansas-Memphis thing specifically. And by the way, I'm going to try to be a little bit quicker on some of these answers. Last week I went a little bit long. But what I would say about this is pretty straightforward. I think this is great. I think it's great for college basketball. I think it's great for these two fan bases. And before I get into this game itself, what I would say is I am in favor of any non-conference game that's both going to be interesting for the casual viewer, but also engages the fan bases that are involved. And I think the biggest thing, if I have one complaint about college basketball, and I think college basketball kind of gets a raw rap sometimes in terms of so much criticism. I think for the most part, it's a fun product. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, that's fine too. But the one thing that I think I don't like is that in the non-conference portion of the schedule, we have way too many neutral site games that are simply made for the good of scheduling in terms of the computers and in terms of the metrics and in terms of trying to put together a schedule that will look impressive for the computers that determine the NCAA tournament. Back in the day when I was coming up as a college basketball fan, you had these great uh, Thanksgiving tournaments like the Maui Invitational. Obviously, we now have the Battle for Atlantis. Those are great. But what we've lost over the years is the true home-and-home element of college basketball. Now, what these programs want to do is they want to play one-off games that are going to look good in computers, even if the fans don't care. So I'll give you an example right off the top of my head. 
Last year, Colorado State made the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. They were a six seed. I remember in the middle of the season, they played a game against Mississippi State at Dickey's Arena in Fort Worth, Texas. And I remember turning it on, and there had to be, I'm not kidding, 75 people that were not players or coaches in that arena. But that game was made for a pretty straightforward reason. Mississippi State didn't want to play a home-and-home with Colorado State. They didn't want to go play Colorado State. Colorado State needed a team like Mississippi State on the schedule to look good in the computers. It would look good for both sides, but neither Mississippi State didn't want to play a true home-and-home. Colorado State wasn't going to play Mississippi State without a return game, so they play in the middle middle of nowhere uh, in front of 75 people. Great for the computers, helped Colorado State get into the NCAA tournament, terrible for college basketball and I just think we have way too many of those games I would love to get back to the traditional home and homes and I would love to get back to the home and homes that fan bases care about and I know that Arkansas and Memphis fans will care about this game as soon as I saw this report somebody DM me Arkansas fans hate Penny Hardaway it dates back to when Penny was a high school player Uh, there was talk that maybe he was about to commit to Nolan Richardson and what really happened and did somebody give him NIL money before there was NIL money those were the reports that's just what I that's not my that's not my uh, inside information I'm just telling you what, what what I was told happened but I bring it up because obviously Memphis is right on the Arkansas border. The two fan bases do not like each other. These are two great programs with great fan bases that will absolutely be engaged, and it will be must-watch TV when these two teams play. No different than when Arkansas played Oklahoma last year. Now, that was on a neutral court, but it was a neutral court where both fan bases could travel, where both fan bases were engaged, and so my whole thing is any out-of-conference game that is going to get fan bases excited and casual fans excited, I'm in favor of. I'm not saying you can never play on a neutral court. I'll give you a good example. This year, Indiana, Mike F. and Woodson, and Arizona are playing a neutral court game in Vegas. Both teams are going to bring fans. It'll probably be on Fox or ESPN. It'll be a big game, and it'll be awesome. What I don't want, though, is Colorado State and Mississippi State playing in Fort Worth just so they can get a game, and that looks good for the schedule. So I, I would be excited about this. It looks like it's in its infancy, but these are teams that used to play pretty regularly back in the day. They haven't done it in a while. I think it would be great for college basketball to have a true home-and-home. Home. Two great fan bases, two great programs. Uh, Penny Hardaway and Eric Musselman are certainly two of the most colorful characters in the sport, and that would be awesome. Vince writes in, How much money would you have to raise to wear a J.J. Reddick uh, Sixers jersey on your NBA draft stream? By the way, I got two J.J. Reddick questions this week. Let me say, I'm kind of over talking J.J. Reddick. First of all, to answer Vince's question, uh, I have no plans really to do an NBA draft stream, although that's probably not a terrible idea. Uh, But what I would say is, listen, I'm a good sport. I have no problem with J.J. Reddick. I'd be happy to do it. If somebody wants to put up some money for charity, I will be glad to do an NBA draft stream at least for a little while. And then after that, also uh, donate whatever money to charity. If you want me to take pictures with it, if you want me to autograph it and send it to you, I really don't care. But if somebody is into that, just let me know. I have no personal beef with JJ Reddick. The guy just called me a you know what on his podcast. And so I responded. He blocked me, whatever. By the way, uh, Matt also chimed in. He's, he gave me a bunch of analytics that proved that J.J. Reddick was right about that argument. Listen, I don't really care. At the end of the day, first of all, I was right. Second of all, J.J. Reddick never even understood my initial point. Uh, so, Matt, I answered your question. There you go. But as far as the J.J. Reddick, uh, how much money would have to be raised, if somebody wants to put up $500 for charity, I will do an NBA draft stream wearing a J.J. Reddick jersey. Three, Mike in the DMs chimes in. 
Speaking of the NBA draft, he didn't say speaking of the NBA draft, but he said, give me uh, your three most overrated and underrated prospects. Really enjoy your draft coverage. Again, Mike in the DMs. First of all, underrated, what I would say is this. So, um, you know, one, I I love doing the NBA draft. If you have draft-related questions, maybe we do a draft-specific mailbag at some point. We'll certainly do a draft-related Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong at some point. Uh, But in terms of underrated, I'll say this. I don't know if Ben Matherin from Arizona is the most underrated prospect in this draft. I'll talk about his teammate in a minute, who I think might be. But I love Ben Matherin's story. So in terms of underrated, I love Ben Matherin. This is a guy that is going to be a lottery pick this year. But he was a guy that at this time last year could have been drafted. I remember before Sean Miller and that whole staff got fired, I reached out to somebody at Arizona and I just said, do you think this guy is going to go pro? I think he could get drafted. And they said no. He knows that he's not ready. He's not ready to be a pro. He's going to come back whether we're back or not. This was at the time when they kind of knew they might not be back. He ends up coming back and becoming an All-American. And so I love him, and I love his story, and I believe he's underrated because the one thing that he has besides the athleticism, the skill, the talent – He has great self-awareness. This is a guy that could have gone pro last year, could have made money, decides to come back, became an All-American. I believe he'll be a lottery pick. Staying in terms of underrated, I think his teammate Dalen Terry is the most underrated player in this draft. I've said for weeks, if this guy goes through the process, I bet he ends up in the first round. And by all accounts, he went to the NBA Combine and killed it confident bordering on cocky he was their actual best player down the stretch he had that like 17 7 and 7 game in the Pac-12 tournament Uh, he was really the only one that wasn't overwhelmed in that Houston game and as I've said many times I think if Dalen Terry comes back to college I think Arizona's a top 10 team I don't think at this point that he will, though. I suspect that he's going to stay in the NBA draft, and this tends to happen. When guys get out of that college bubble, when they start playing with other pros and they start seeing, hey, I can handle myself pretty well, uh, I think he is going to be a player that stays in this draft, and I think he is going to have a ton of success. Finally, let me give a little shout-out to a guy that probably not a lot of people are talking about right now, but Tyrese Martin from my alma mater, UConn. Another guy. I think he'll be a second-round pick. He had a great week in Chicago last week, and he's another one. Um... A guy that does a little bit of everything, plays super hard, defends his butt off, and he's a guy that I think, one, he's older, he's more mature, he's more physical, Uh, the NBA physicality I don't think is going to overwhelm him, but he's another guy that he's not about stats, like he's not about I got to average this or I got to put up these numbers, he's about winning. And in his uh, junior year at UConn two seasons ago, he really stepped up statistically when James Booknight went out. This year, R.J. Cole kind of became the guy. Tyrese Martin took a back seat. But this is a guy that I think you could throw on the NBA playoffs. Uh, you could throw on the floor in the NBA playoffs right now. And I think physically he could handle himself. Now, is he going to score 20 points a game? He's not, but he's not that kind of player. But he's a guy that really had a really good week last week in Chicago. I think he hears his name drafted in the second round. In terms of three players that I would say are overrated, let me just say this. I don't know if this guy is overrated, but what I will say is I've really heard some mixed things on Shaden Sharp, right? Like like there was the initial buzz that he had a great week last week at the NBA Combine. I talked about it and where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, that he's going to stay in the draft. I'll tell you this. Some of the people that I've talked to in NBA circles are not sold on Shaden Sharp. Not to say that he can't be a good NBA player, not to say that he won't be an NBA player, but just the idea that they're a little bit worried. What's this guy's deal? Does he want to compete? Is he afraid of competition? 
Is he hiding for a reason? Was he hidden by his people at Kentucky for a reason? And so I think there's been this buzz, especially after the lottery, that he could go top four, top five. Not saying that won't happen, but what I would say is I think there's more questions in NBA circles than a lot of people maybe would lead you on to believe. In terms of two other guys that I think are overrated, EJ Liddell from Ohio State. Listen, I respect Ohio State. I respect Chris Holtman, but EJ Liddell is undersized. He's not super athletic can't take over games. I get that he's 6'7", 6'8". Uh, you know, credit to him for expanding his game. I saw him in first-round mocks. I just don't see him as a first-round guy. The other guy's kind of interesting is Trevor Keels. Have no idea if he'll, he'll stick in the process. He could go back to Duke, but he is a guy that had that great first game against Kentucky and then never really anything happened from there. Another guy that I think if he stays in the draft, everyone's projecting him as a first-rounder. I could see him go in second, second round undrafted, have to work his way up. Um, not telling him what to do, but he's a guy I just, I, I don't see it. I really don't. I don't think he's super athletic. I don't think he's super skilled. Uh, Cody, another one in the DMs. This was actually from last week. It was a good question. Western Kentucky, how do you feel next year with Jarius Hamilton, Jamarion Sharp, and Davion McKnight coming back, then bringing in Christian Lander and Dante Allen? So if people don't know, Western Kentucky, always really talented. Remember, they beat Louisville this past year. That was, frankly, probably the straw that broke the camel's back that ended up with Chris Mack being fired. Um, but what I would say about Western Kentucky is they have a bunch of returning players, including Jamarion Sharp, led the nation in shot block shots, seven, seven feet, five inches, uh, and a real NBA prospect. I think one more year he'll probably play in the NBA. And they also brought in two really good transfers, Christian Lander, a former five-star who played at Indiana, and Dante Allen, who we know from the University of Kentucky. So Western Kentucky certainly has the talent. The issue with Western Kentucky is they always have the talent, and Rick Stansberry never comes through. Looked it up, in the last five years, they finished third, tied for second, tied for second, first tied for second in their conference, and have zero NCAA tournaments to show for it. They also at one point had Charles Bassey, who was like legitimately probably that year, one of the 10 best players in college basketball, did not make the NCAA tournament. Uh, Western Kentucky, I like the talent. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I just don't know if I trust Rick Stansberry. I would also add, I'm really excited to see Dante Allen in a place where he's going to get a chance to really thrive. He obviously had a couple great games at Kentucky, uh, never really was able to get into the regular rotation with John Calipari, and so I'm curious to see how he does. Western Kentucky, out of all the non-group uh, uh, power sixes in college basketball, power five plus the Big East, they are interesting. Randall tweets in, since you're the expert, can you project who will be in Omaha this year for the College World Series? So for people who don't know, I kind of dubbed myself college baseball guy last year, and it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing. Um, essentially, it was really because I really kind of got into college baseball because three teams from my home state of Connecticut were in it last year. UConn as the Big East champ, Central Connecticut, where I actually had a buddy from high school played there, and then also on top of that, uh, Fairfield University, about an hour, hour and a half from where I grew up. They made the College World Series, which was obviously the field of 64, um, and so I kind of joke that I'm a college baseball guy now, and I'm really not. I really love college baseball because it's the one sport that I don't really know. I don't know the background. I don't know the stories. I don't know how rosters are built. I don't follow recruiting. And so it's one of the few sports that I can just have fun and watch without having to have like a super strong opinion on and hit record and let's get going. Now, in terms of college baseball, what I would also say about this year, it feels like outside of Tennessee, it is a wide open field. The SEC, uh, Texas A&M out of nowhere got good. First year head coach, Jim Schlossenagel, who came from TCU. 
They're a really interesting story. My UConn Huskies, they did get swept on the final weekend of the regular season, but they had a pretty historic year. But what's interesting to me about college baseball, and I don't have an, uh, an answer for it, and I will have my buddy Phil Elson, the, the Arkansas Razorbacks play-by-play guy, on to discuss I don't get how teams get so good and so bad so fast, right? So like I said, Texas A&M in the first year under a new head coach finishes second in the SEC. Meanwhile, Mississippi State was the national champion last year and finishes last in the SEC West. And like me with the college football, college basketball background, it's really interesting because like in college basketball, Gonzaga can be like a national championship contender one year or Duke or Kentucky can win a national championship. And then the next year, they're not as good. But you don't see Kansas go from national champion to eighth in the Big 12 or Gonzaga from the national title game to 18 and 14 overall. So I don't get how Mississippi State got so bad. I know Vanderbilt lost a bunch of pitching from last year. But as a college baseball guy, I can say outside of Tennessee, this thing appears to be wide open. By the way, I should mention Tennessee fans, uh, AaronTorresOnline.com slash merchandise. Get your bad boys of college baseball Tennessee shirts. Uh, Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Rich chimes in. Torres been hard on Nick Saban the last couple days. We're going to beat that Aggie behind. That is from Rich. What I would say is this really quickly. I do think it's very interesting with te- with uh, the Texas A&M-Alabama thing that I don't think anybody's talking about. we got to remember that A&M beat Alabama last year. And why I think that's important is because not only does Alabama already have extra motivation after Jimbo Fisher called, uh, called their coach a narcissist and says that he acts like God and he thinks he's the czar of college football, Alabama already had motivation because they lost last year. So that game's going to be back at Bryant-Denny Stadium. There's obviously no love lost. We'll find out next week with the SEC coaches' meetings uh, what to make of of Jimbo and and Nick Saban's personal relationship. But I do believe uh, that Alabama's going to win that game convincingly. I hate to spoil it, but Alabama's going to be my preseason national championship pick. Finally, how about this? Keep God First on Instagram says... Torres, you got to do a video on LSU basketball, uh, you know, obviously talking about my YouTube channel. So let me say this about LSU basketball. You know, we're going to talk about it more on where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, but I had my concerns about Matt McMahon when he first got to LSU. If you remember, all 13 players on the roster hit the portal. Well, he did a great job, and we'll talk about it more on Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong next week. I thought he did a great job over these last couple weeks piecing together the roster. Just about all the scholarships are filled. And I think he did a good job of kind of finding balance in how he built the roster. Uh, First of all, got a little bit lucky. Had a couple guys come with him from Murray State. Uh, Justice Hill, who was really good. Trey Hannibal, who was really good. And then K.J. Williams, who could have gone to the NBA draft, the Ohio Valley Player of the Year, uh, decides to come back to college and go to LSU. I think that's going to help with kind of the culture and how Matt McMahon wants to do things, having three guys that have been with him at the last place. Also getting back a few of Will Wade's players, Adam Miller, the most notable one there. Adding a few players through the transfer portal, Cam Hayes, the the point guard from NC State. And then finally, uh, they added a nice little five-star here in the high school ranks and a kid named Terrell Ward. So I'll talk about him more, Aaron Wright, Aaron Wrong next week. But really impressive haul for Matt McMahon. Uh, I have been very impressed by what he has done in a short period of time. With that said, I think it's time for me to get out of here. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure that you're subscribed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure 
that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you want to get your questions for next week, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. By the way, uh, speaking of, 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 of social media, we started our first team-specific Instagram page. So I've told you about Torres on UK, Torres on the Vols, Torres on Bama, Torres on the Hogs, Torres on Arizona. Well, we also started a Torres on Bama Instagram page. So if you're an Alabama fan, make sure you're following there as well. Lots of news and notes on Alabama. And of course, on top of that, we will also uh, post any content of my own or anything that Aaron Torres Media does on that page as well. But with that said, do think it's time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. I will be back on Friday. Final episode of the week, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.